Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far today. We have an awesome guest. He is known as the anti-lawyer. He speaks in plain English. He prioritizes client experience and results over winning every objection in a deposition. And he believes that the staff of his law firm is often more important to its success than the lawyers are. He talks about law, business building, how to gain referrals through client satisfaction and experience, and how to develop a great team. Outside of the office, he is raising three boys and is proud that he has built the kind of firm that allows him to get out of the office to coach baseball and soccer, as well as to travel. He is the president of Great Legal Marketing, which is an organization of 250 owners of solo and small law firm owners dedicated to building high-profit, low-maintenance law firms. So let's welcome Brian Glass. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm great. Thank you for that very kind introduction. How are you? I'm doing great. It's awesome to have you on, Brian. I'd like to get started by uh, asking you to share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? So I <laughs> started this story in law school, right? So I went to law school in 2008, uh, from 2005 to 2008, graduated into the teeth of the Great Recession at a time when all of the big law jobs and the promises of very large paychecks, you know, for very little value as a first year lawyer, um, kind of went up in smoke. And so graduated and, and went to work at a general practice firm in uh, the fall of 2008 got no training, um, no tutelage, no supervision, and was quickly out of there within about four four months. Um, at that point, I landed in an auto accident injury practice firm and focused on how do we make more money, run cases faster, and make clients happier, and have been leveraging those three things ever since uh, for the last 15 years. Wow. So uh, oh, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a really interesting science to finish law school right during that recession when the market went down 50 percent. It was a it was a very challenging time. I remember my days in the core world, I got hit with a pay cut. So I guess I was lucky to keep my job. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty tough at that time. So and a lot of people, my phone got let go. You know, the firm I was working with at that time. So yeah, it was a difficult time. So, you know, you worked as a general in, in general practice firm for a few months. You didn't learn anything, no tutelage. It was not a good thing. And then you went to an auto injury accident firm. I guess that's where you uh, learned your craft. Now, um, and so uh, what made you decide, you know, so it really started back then. So talk a little bit more about how you became more entrepreneurial from that. So I hate trading dollars for hours. And most lawyers bill by the hour, right? And so the only way, there's two ways to make more money in that kind of a practice. You work longer hours, work nights and weekends, or you charge premium services, uh, premium dollar for premium services. Um, but in an auto accident practice, we're working on a contingency fee. And so we're taking a percentage of whatever the case result is. And that introduces another variable, right? So I don't get paid necessarily any more money for working any harder or any longer on a case. I make more money by running more cases through the system, designing a great system, and by maximizing case value on any case that's come through. And so 
Um, you know, being able to pull those levers and increase your effective hourly rate by creating a, a great system and having a great team that can manage the cases and freeing me up to work only on my highest dollar uh, per hour thinking only on the largest cases has been a, a great way to stop trading dollars for hours and run the law practice as a real business, which most lawyers aren't very good at. Okay. So, um, yeah, so that makes sense. Um, you know, working, uh, doing like auto accidents that you work kind of contingency fee basis, you're not paid by the hour, like you said. Other, with the other cases, you know, a lot of times you got to work a lot more hours. And it's if you're not working those crazy hours, it's hard to make the really big money. Whereas, you know, doing this, uh, you either you can get more cases or you can make more money per case. And you also mentioned the fact that, uh, you had a great team behind you, which is very helpful. And we'll get to that in a little bit because that's one of the things you talk about the need for a uh, great team. And uh, yeah, so um, is, is this one of the reasons why you call yourself the anti-lawyer or is that an, or is there another reason why you call yourself the anti-lawyer? Yeah, I mean, that really comes from talking in plain English, right? So you, as a lawyer, you in order to deal with clients in the general public, like you have to learn how not to talk like a lawyer anymore, how to not to use... 12 words when four will do, how not to go flying over the head of, of every client. So like for me, it's the experience of going to a mechanic and I'm not a car guy and having them explain in mechanics terms what's wrong with the car. I don't get it, right? You, whatever you said could be in, in Latin for all I know. Um, but it's translating that to clients and, and understanding that really what the client is interested in is a, a speedy result for their case, maximum case value, and good customer service along the way. So prioritizing all three of those things. You know, the part about um, the other part about the hourly billing is that it really doesn't align our interests very well, right? If I'm having a slow month and I need to make up some hours to make some more money, well, I can just go churn some work that really doesn't add a whole lot of value to the client's case. But doing it the way that we do it, I'm only working on things that bring the most amount of value back to the clients, putting more dollars in their pocket. And the faster and, and quicker that I can run those things through the system, the more money we're making also. Right. No, and that makes sense. Don't self like a lawyer. Don't use all this legal lease, though, which no one can understand. Like, it's like the mechanic throwing all these terms. You need this. And you're wondering, is he making up this stuff that I got to pay for? And, you know, clients are probably thinking the same thing with lawyers. If you speak plain English, they definitely will appreciate that. And you mentioned, they want good customer service, speedy results, and a good money amount. And yeah, and that's the thing. Like I said, the the doing it the other way, you know, billing hourly, you know, they they they'll do things. They might add some extra hours, which is not really necessary for the client. And the client doesn't trust you, and they don't trust the professional. Whereas you do it this basis, um, they know I'm not gonna pay unless they get me an amount. And then you know the lawyers take their share, which they've earned from doing all the hard work. And and here's the thing, because you only get paid on a contingency basis, you're only going to take the case that you you believe has a really good shot of winning. If you think it's a very poor case, you're not going to take that. It's not, it doesn't make sense for you or for the clients to waste of your time. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. So, you know, we position ourselves in the market where we're able to screen out smaller cases or more difficult cases. And so really is thinking about it like a matrix. Like I can take a large case if there's some risk of me not getting paid on it, but I can't take a small case and work it for a large number of hours if there's a risk that I'm not going to get paid on it. And so it's prioritizing like what are the 
what are the highest dollar value cases? And then figuring out, well, how much risk is there that, you know, we're in this case for 18 months, 24 months and investing funds and, and advancing costs. And then we don't get paid at the end of the day. Uh, that makes sense. So yeah, definitely uh, good stuff. There. Next thing I'd like to ask you is um, you say that why I am the best lawyer or, you know, or, plumber mm. mechanic is not a differentiator in your marketing. And it's probably yeah. the last thing you should focus on. Why do you say that? Because nobody knows, right? <laughs> You're if it, yeah. So I compare the practice of law to practice of, of real estate, right? Almost everybody's got this experience of either buying a house, selling a house, or, or using an agent to go and help you find a rental. And you never know, had you gone with a different agent, could somebody have gotten you a better deal quicker, either paying more money uh, or receiving more money from the person you're selling it to or buying the house for cheaper, make the transaction go any smoother. Nobody ever knows. Like there's no parallel doors or parallel universe where you can go through the sliding door and find out what happened had you hired the other guy down the street. And so because of that, and because all lawyers, all real estate agents, all plumbers, whatever, say I'm the best, and because there's no way to actually know, I, I think that's a silly thing to focus on. And so really what I know that you can compare your experience to is how is the customer service with my business versus your doctor versus your dentist versus your plumber, right? Were you informed every step of the way by the team about what was going to happen next? Did you get all your questions answered? And did you feel that you were treated fairly throughout the whole process? I can control for all those things. And you can compare what we did against every other business that you interact with, but you really can't compare the result that you get with any other result that you've had because you have oftentimes one case in the course of your life. No, and that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and I'll be honest, when I see these people say we're the best, whatever, whatever professional dentist, doctor, whatever, and I'm like, yeah, right. I'm like, uh, or we have the best, we are the best Chinese food in, in this town, or we're the best Italian food. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But if I have two or three friends who tell me, you know, I went to this restaurant, it's a great restaurant. I went to this doctor. Oh man, he changed my life. I'm going to listen to my friends because if two, two or three of them say he's good, then I'm probably going to go to him. Or, you know, they said, this guy's an incredible lawyer. He helped me win with this much money. So I think you should go to him for your case. I'm going to listen to them. So yeah, right. It's, uh, yeah, you can't really tell unless, like you say, you go, you experience, and they compare it to other people that you use. So, uh, yeah, totally agree with you on that. Um, next thing I'd like to ask is, you know, what do you know now after all these years of practice of law that you wish you had known at the beginning of your career? And then there probably, you know, this, you know, probably there might be some uh, new lawyers that are listening. They may want to definitely hear what you have to share. So the the thing that I know now, Victor, that I didn't know in the beginning is that. Most lawyers like to fight over a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. And so the phrase that I like to use is your job is to cross the swamp. It's not to fight all the alligators in the swamp. And so this comes with experience, but it's knowing what you can pick and choose to fight about and what kind of things you can just let go. Uh, and that's, you know, we talk about, well, I'm not really interested in making the best objections because oftentimes the objections, they don't really matter. Um, and so spending less time in the front of my career fighting over every little thing again back to like does it actually bring value to the client's case does it make the case run any faster most of the things that lawyers fight about don't and especially like if you're in an hourly billing practice most of what you're fighting about is just causing a higher cost for your client okay no no that makes a lot of sense so yeah so i like to cross the swamp and uh 
don't fight the alligators that are in the swamp. Yeah, don't don't fight over the little things. Don't sweat the small stuff. And like you said, a lot of times lawyers are fighting over stuff that's not really that important. It's not providing any value to the customer. And if they're billing on an hourly basis, it's costing them a lot of money. So, um, and the client will not appreciate that. So if you you can learn not to focus on that, um, it's definitely better for you as well as for the client. Um, now, one of the things you do is, you know, you talk about the fact that you, you, know, you do all this stuff, yet you're able to have a balanced family and work life. You know, you spend a lot of time with your with your sons. You know, you help you coach them through, you know, baseball and soccer, as, as well as being able to travel. So how are you able to find that work-life balance? Yes. Design your life that way, right? So <laughs> if you want to be out of the office every day at four o'clock in order to go coach practice, whatever whatever sport it might be, then you know that you've got to backfill the eight to four o'clock time with good time management and with good paying clients and, and good, good sized cases in my case. And so the question is, okay, what kind of things do I have to do now to go out and attract those things so that I can do what I really want to do, which is leave at four every day to go and coach and take one week a month and go on vacation with my wife and my kids. Right. Knowing that now I've got to compress and I can't be screwing around when we're at the office and I've got to build a great team that can answer 95% of the questions that might otherwise have come to me. The other thing that lawyers are not terribly good at is taking our hands off things and letting other people delegating and letting other people answer some questions, run most of the processes and then having a system in place where when there are questions that the team can't answer, either because there are legal questions, they can't give legal advice, or because they just don't know the answer, then we have a system where the team comes back in a, in a regular meeting and brings all of the questions to me at once. We batch all the questions. So I'm not having people come in and out of my office all day, every day uh, with little onesie, twosie kinds of questions. And so, you know, once you compress all that time and make the most and best use of your time when you're in the office, then that frees up your nights and your weekends to spend time with your family and with your friends. But if you were the one doing all of the work and the work just swells and swells and swells because you're doing a great job and more clients are coming to find you and you haven't deliberately blocked off those times in your calendar to begin with, then they just get chewed up by client work. Now that makes a lot of sense. You know, time management is extremely important. You block off the time to say, if I'm going to work eight to four, how how do I do it? I get better paying clients and how do I manage that so that I'm not working till seven, eight o'clock and I can't see my family? And I know not just lawyers, a lot of people in a lot of other professions have those same issues. And I think the things you shared makes a lot of sense. Um, number one, a lot of people, a lot of managers, not just with lawyers, they're very hands-on. They're, they're micromanagers. They're all over the people. They, they're like, oh, I'm going to do this. But they should learn to delegate more and have them do the uh, things that are not as important as you can focus on the more important thing, things that you can do that no one else can do. Focus on those things and have your team do the rest of the things so that it allows you more time and it gets more things done. And I like what you say. You have the system in place where you'll have a meeting. So if there's certain questions that they can't answer, you don't have the bothering you every 10 15 minutes saying hey you know how do i answer this you set up a meeting whatever it is one hour two hours and then they bring the questions and then you help answer those questions so that uh 
the rest of the time you're in your office, you can focus on doing the work that you're supposed to do because distractions eat up so much time. It's incredible how much productivity is lost as a result of that. So being able to focus on the things you're able to do and not being bothered by your team, except at that meeting that you at the meetings you have where you can handle those questions, I think is a really great sign saver. And I think I, that that I can see why you're able to have that free time with your wife and your kids. Um, next thing, Brian, I'd like to ask you is, um, what is your process for determining what you want out of life and setting goals to achieve? Because this is something a lot of professionals, especially those that are starting their own business, struggle with a lot. Yeah. So, you know, the book that has changed my life more in the last couple of years than anything else has been Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold, which is all about designing for yourself and selecting those things that you want in your life. Um, first from like a, just a brainstorming perspective, where do you want to go? How much time do you want to take out of the office? Um, what do you want to do for your kids? What do you want those relationships to look like? And then visioning that out without worrying about in my current situation, all of the things that would keep me from achieving those dreams and those hopes. Um, but then once you have a very solid vision, starting to work backwards from what kind of things do I need to accomplish in the next year to move me closer to that? And if I need to accomplish that by the end of the year, what do I need to do in the next 90 days? And if I need to do that in the next 90 days, what do I need to, what steps do I need to take this week to bring me closer to that vision? And then what can I do that would make success of those steps totally unreasonable? And if you deliberately think about it, um, if you deliberately think about it like that and you plan out your days and your weeks in advance, then you'll get to the vision that you want to achieve in the end. But most people never spend time thinking about where they want to get. They just think about what I have to do in the next week or month to get by. And that's how you end up with a life that you really don't enjoy. Mm -hmm. So part that last part is planning it weeks and, you know, days, weeks, months in advance and uh, that, 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 that up. And then, I like that visualizing everything and in the beginning, not worrying about how you're going to achieve. Cause I think a lot of people do that and they underestimate the power of the subconscious mind, which will help bring about the stuff you're visualizing. And then you, you, you work backwards. You know what I have to do in the next year to do that. The 90 days, that months, weeks, bring that vision to fruition. So that makes sense. And uh, vivid vision by Cameron. Hill. I'm definitely going to take a look at that because I'm always looking to improve myself and get better. So uh, thanks for mentioning that book. Um, and next thing I'd like to ask is, um, and, you know, you know, cause you have employees, you have a great team. Um, and obviously you want the teams to do well. You also want them to do, be happy because the happier they are, the more likely they're going to stay with you and they're not going to leave to go somewhere else. So how is leaning into your employees goals and helping them lead, lead epic lives paying off in your business? Yeah. So one of the things that we started doing maybe a year and a half ago is having these conversations with our employees about what kind of things do you actually want to achieve outside of the office, right? You should have KPIs and goals and metrics for the work that you're doing here, but how can I support your dreams and your visions outside of the office? Because I know that if I have staff that I'm taking care of um, and helping realize their own objectives, then they're more likely to stay. Most people don't leave jobs for more money. Most people leave jobs because they don't like their employer or because they feel like it's hamstringing them in some other aspect of their life. And so if we can solve for that and we can keep happy people here, then they'll naturally take care of the clients. And then I'm freed up to really do the kinds of work, only the most high level legal work 
and have them take care of everything else. Yeah, and that makes sense. You know, you know, keep them find out what they want to achieve outside the office, keep them happy. And you're right. Well, it's money is actually not the number one issue. People think that, but it's actually well, survey after survey will show that, like you said, they either don't like their boss, they feel like they're being handsome, they feel very underappreciated. And if they feel that way, they're much more likely to leave the company. And uh, so definitely some good things. Now, um, one of the things I want to ask you about is um, you know, like all solo owners, you know, or small business owners, one thing they rely on is, you know, referrals from other people. So what, what are some mistakes that lawyers make about building a referral-based business that they should not do? Yeah. So most lawyers are, are limiting their referral sources to other lawyers. And I like to think about it in terms of who's already in front of the crowd of clients that I want to attract into my business. And so, because we do auto accidents, for the most part, that's chiropractors. It's small physical therapy offices, um, already have patients who could be clients of my business. And, uh, and then it's going and directly to those people and trying to solve the problems that they have in their business. So again, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but most chiropractors and physical therapists hate lawyers because their only interaction with lawyers is that we're calling them at the end of the case, trying to convince them to take less money for the work that they've already done, or that the case is taking way too long to get settled. And so if we can come to them in advance and generate relationships based on solving those problems and those things that bother them about our profession by um, by either being good enough that we're getting them full value for the work that they're doing or having a good enough system that the case is running through in an efficient manner and they're getting paid on time and not a year and a half after they've finished their, their work, then they're happy to refer us even if we're not sending cases back to them. Uh, that makes sense. You know, getting get paid earlier and they'll be much happier to help you and refer more business. It's uh. If they're waiting a year and a half, two years, they're not going to be, they're not going to like, why should I send them business? I'm going to wait two years to get paid. So that makes a lot of sense. And I, I also agree with you. Um, don't limit your referrals, referrals to other lawyers. You know, you don't limit yourself. Anyone that can give you a referral, you know, that you could think of, you should just look into that because th there's more opportunity to get bigger paying cases. So I agree. Don't limit yourself. So, yeah. So you mentioned just, you know, going to chiropractors and physical therapists among others. So, Makes a lot of sense. Now, as we're coming toward the end of our interview, are there any last minute pieces of advice you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the overarching theme um, for me is design the life that you want first, right? So many of us get years and decades down the line into our careers, either at somebody else's company or on, or on our entrepreneurial journey without designing and building in the things that actually make us happy. And that's how people are unhappy with the businesses that they've built and feel like they're caged within their own structure, right? And so spending deliberate time in the beginning, visioning not only what are the financial goals that you want your business to hit, but what are the like lifestyle goals, adventure goals, travel goals, family goals that you want to hit? And what does your business have to do and be able to provide for you so that you can meet those marks, I think is a really important step that most people miss along the entrepreneurial journey. No, that makes sense. And uh, design the life that you want, figure out those various goals that you want for your life, for your business and for your family, and then figure out what does your business need to do to accomplish to achieve those goals. And you're right, a lot of people don't do that in the beginning and they get frustrated in the long term. So 
uh, definitely a lot of good stuff today. Listen, Brian, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. You shared a lot of great value, a lot of great tips. And if people want to get in touch with you, Brian, what is the best way for them to contact you? So um, I can be found most active on LinkedIn. Just search Brian Glass. You'll find me. I post almost every day. Some about the law, but really about business success tips. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Brian, for being on the show. We appreciate it. Have yourself an amazing day. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.